lullabies. Is there anything as sweet and innocent as singing a beloved child to sleep? Lullabies should all be as simple and assured as the seal lullaby we heard from our virtual choir. You're safe from storms and sharks, little one. Rest at thy ease. We can never really promise any baby that they will always be at ease and safe, of course, but of all the promises that we make as adults to our children and as a country to all of the children of the land, these are the most sacred. We will protect you and nurture you because you matter. And then there is the beautiful, heartbreaking, black baby lullaby that Julia Bullock has just sung. Words we sing to every child, every child we love. We want you to walk freely. We want you to speak clearly. We want you to sleep safe in my arms. Some of us can only try to imagine the misery, bitterness, and rage of being excluded from this promise, of being told again and again, shown again and again, that you and those you love matter less. This is the country we inherited, but it isn't the one that we have to pass on to the next generation. Jeremiah spoke of the wounds of his people. He could have been speaking here today and not 2,500 years ago, far away. Deep wounds that can't be easily bound up. You can't just put a Band-Aid on and say, they're there. A passing racist remark is a, is a wound that can be treated, as some translations put it, lightly. And then there are the serious wounds, the mortal wounds, the ones that affect the whole system of the body of the people, institutional racism. In, in all our institutions, in healthcare, in education, in housing, in lending, police violence, the whole idea deep in the body of our country, of the, the police as protectors of some people against others, not law-abiding people being protected from criminals, but the rich being protected from the poor, white from the black and brown, European from indigenous, the native-born being protected from the immigrant, the owners being protected from their workers. Over and over in the history of our country, we have cried peace where there is no peace. When I say we, I'm thinking very much of myself. We have aimed for order when the real goal should be justice. We have tried to sing ourselves and our children to sleep, but before the child can sleep sweetly, the bed must be safe. As it was not for Ayanna Stanley Jones, whose picture we saw in the video with Emma, Emma's Revolution's music, 
Ayanna was asleep when police raided her home in Detroit. Had her parents kissed her goodnight and wished her sweet dreams? Had her grandmother sung her a lullaby? Her grandmother was holding her in her arms when Officer Joseph Weekly killed that seven-year-old child. He went free and returned to the force. To such a family, it is an unbearable insult to say, shh, shh, be at peace. When their wounds have not been tended, when all that the so-called justice system has done has been to make them worse. But it's not just the family who can find no peace. That should be true of anyone who valued the life of this little girl, our sister, our child. It's not just the families of Sandra Bland, Breonna Taylor, Eric Garner, Ahmaud Arbery, David McAtee, Miriam Carey, Kiwi Herring, George Floyd, who should be up at night with anguish. It's not just people who look like them and worry that their child, mother, brother, friend, lover will be the next hashtag. It should be all of us. Jim Wallace of Sojourners, the liberal evangelical community, calls racism America's original sin. And of course, before this continent had this country upon it, there was invasion and slaughter of indigenous people by the new Europeans. The kidnapping of and enslavement of Africans to build up the Europeans' wealth. Each generation of immigrants of whatever skin tone has been faced with the choice. Identify as white or white adjacent, white approved, and join the oppressors or be identified as a person of color and suffer under racism's thumb. No third way is offered. We have to make one. But first, we have to stop crying peace and acknowledge the war that has been underway since before the United States was founded. The desire of some white people to enslave other people and of other white people to compromise with them to keep them happy at the expense of black people, indigenous people, and so on, was there from before the beginning. It's the reason for the three-fifths compromise, how to keep slaveholding states on board, how to keep southern governments at peace with their landowning, slaveholding residents. It's the reason for the Electoral College. It's the reason for a weakened federal government that gives more power to the states when they have wanted to oppress some of their residents. The Civil War is one that has never stopped being fought since it supposedly ended in 1865, and really, it was being fought for a long time before it began in 1861. Maybe those like me who remember the Cold War well will recognize the similarities, that there was a hot war for just a few years there, but all along the war has been simmering, just under the boil. The analogy holds true uh, with the, the Cold War between the United States and the Soviet Union for several decades, right to the proxy battlegrounds. 
the people who suffered a very hot war in Laos and Cambodia and Guatemala and Honduras, in Vietnam and Chile and so many other places. While the two big countries fighting their Cold War were remote. White people may not feel the heat of this war, but black people do, other people of color do. Original sin, Jim, Jim Wallace calls it. Well, Elie Wiesel had helpful words about original sin from the Jewish tradition. His Jewish take on it is, is very different than the evangelical uh, idea. In words that live only in my memory, I, I haven't been able to find exactly where he said this. Wiesel wrote, we inherited Adam's punishment for his sin. We inherited his punishment, not his sin, not his guilt. We don't inherit the sins of our ancestors. We don't inherit their guilt, but we inherit the consequences. How could we not? And we inherit the responsibility to repair them. Who else? Who else will repair them? We can't undo the past, but we can heal its wounds. Truth and justice reparation and repentance must come before reconciliation. Otherwise, we are just sticking a flimsy bandage onto a gaping wound and preaching to people that they should be healed and be at peace when nothing has changed. There's various translations of that passage from Jeremiah. One of my favorites is a mortal wound a mortal wound, a sickness unto death, something that will kill you if it's not healed properly. Now imagine that you simply put a bandage over a mortal wound, you cover it up, you make it look neater, hide what's really going on. But the truth cannot be concealed forever. The body knows when it's infected, when it's festering, when it's dying, and no number of healing words will give that body peace. You have to apply real medicine. Think of when you're deeply hurt, when, when something has happened to outrage you, when you're the victim of unfairness, injustice, and someone says to you, shh, it's okay, it's okay. Does that calm you down? No. You can find healing eventually, you can find peace but not if your pain is never acknowledged. That just deepens the wound. To just say, let's all get along, to say, that's in the past, let's move on. Why are people stuck there in things that happened 20 years ago, 60 years ago, 200 years ago? To just say that, that's magical thinking. And we've had quite enough of that. The current resident of the White House might be the champion magical thinker among all who have held that position, but when it comes to the original sin of racism, he is just one in a long line of leaders, mostly white, who have tried to have peace without justice. That chant, no justice, no peace, no justice, no peace, it's not a threat. It's the truth, plain and simple. 
You can impose order through violence and the streets will appear peaceful. But we know when something isn't right, when white babies can sleep easy, but brown babies can't. For the people whose babies are seen as dangerous or as easy targets of violence, pray for hunters like Amud Arbery's killers who have taken in with their mother's milk the truth that they can kill with impunity. For those of us whose babies are treasured by this country, even when they're grown up, even when they're carrying a hammer or marching into the state house with an AR-15 slung over their shoulder, we can make it easier for ourselves by not getting too close to anyone who might be targeted by the police, hide our eyes from the truth, bandaging them over, deny that we care, deny that we're kin, that all babies are our babies too, the black and brown babies, the immigrant babies sleeping in cages or left in limbo when their parents' visas expire, the indigenous babies shunted onto reservations and into boarding schools. We can deny that we love them and want them to inherit the world. But we can't do that and keep our souls whole. To do that is to do to our souls what a blade or a bullet does to the body. In 1858, then state senator from Illinois, Abraham Lincoln, quoted the Bible to his fellow conventioneers at the gathering of the new anti-slavery Republican Party. He said, a house divided against itself cannot stand. He meant the nation, and he was right, and is still right. It also applies to every soul. We can't have one part of ourselves that affirms our kinship with all, while another part of ourselves denies the suffering of some of our kin, and the injustice that says that some lives matter more than others. We can hide one half of ourselves from the other, but a soul split in two still suffers. Its wounds are infected, and they will be fatal. Here's what Lincoln said in, in fuller measure. <clears throat> a house divided against itself cannot stand. I believe this government cannot endure permanently half slave and half free. I do, not believe, I do not expect the union to be dissolved. I do not expect the house to fall, but I do expect it will cease to be divided. It will become all one thing or all the other. In that he was wrong, the union dissolved and the house fell, but it was propped back up. Did it become all one thing or all the other? And if so, which one? I am very much afraid that we are one thing. We did decide between the full humanity of people of color or against it. <clears throat> and we decided against it. Why do I say that? When there has been progress, 
And it's true, in many ways there has been progress. It's because I hear that overly eager cry, peace, peace, when I can see, when people are telling us all the time, showing us if we will but look, there is no peace. So the end of the Civil War came, that terrible, bloody conflict. Four years that took more American lives than any battle that we have had. The Civil War ended and people said, peace, there's peace now. But after the terrible wounds of hundreds of years, even the token reparations of a modest homestead, 40 acres and a mule, were never delivered. Slavery was quickly replaced by chain gangs with trumped up laws allowing the legal re-enslavement of free people for crimes like loitering, also known as being black in public. Reconstruction was supposed to build a new society and in many ways it was succeeding, but the Democratic Party hated it and the Republican Party cut a deal with them and that was the end of it. And of course, the people of the North said, we don't have to do anything. We don't have to change anything. We were never the ones who were waging war on our people. And yet, discrimination, persistent bigotry persisted there as well. Closer to our own time, the civil rights movement had its victories. And people cried, peace. No, there was still no peace. Because the wounds had not been healed. We can't have affirmative action. We've pulled the knife out of the wound. Isn't that enough for you? And workarounds of school desegregation and subtler forms of discrimination in housing and hiring just kept sprinkling salt in the wounds that remained. And then, an amazing night, the election of Barack Obama, a, a person of color, a black man, president of this country. I didn't think it was going to happen in my lifetime. And so there were these cries, peace, peace. But and however wonderful it is, prominent, even powerful people of color are not enough to heal the wounds and bring real peace. Through my lifetime, there's been entirely too much focus, certainly in the way I was taught about racism, on the feelings of white people. How do we feel? When I used to say that we decided for white supremacy and against the freedom side, against the full humanity of all people, I don't mean how we feel. You know, the way we feel means very little in comparison to what we do. Racism is only a tiny, tiny part of feeling. What's really important is how we act. And yet we keep telling ourselves that it's about something inside. Only about something inside. 
And that's how Amy Cooper could apologize to Christian Cooper in Central Park's ramble for using the racism of the police as a bludgeon against him and still say, I'm not a racist. As if what matters is what she says in her own mind. If our feelings are divided from our actions, our house cannot stand. And we, those who wear this privilege of white skin, we have lied to ourselves for too long, not taken notice of the difference between what we feel and what we do. What we feel and we allow others to do in our name with our money. I wanted to go all into the Insurrection Act and its uses. There's no time for that. But I just need to note that the government is trying to side against the full humanity of people of color. It's like the medics are trying to help us. They're coming out into the streets to save us from that gaping wound in these protests, in this surge of a cry for justice. They're saying, we can heal this. We can heal this wounded country. And our paid protectors are chasing them away and assaulting them and imprisoning them. There's been this incredible wave of something almost like hope as people have come out by the thousands and for two solid weeks to protect the killing, protest, protest the killing of George Floyd and protesting so much more than that murder and the many other unresolved murders. Environmental racism, the violence of poverty, even COVID being far more deadly in black and brown communities. A time we live in now when Asian Americans are being targeted for racist attacks. With COVID, the latest excuse, just as our wars in Asia were excuses for previous generations. Sometimes they're attacked even as they administer life-saving medical care. And I'm not talking here metaphorically, I mean to people who can't breathe in intensive care units. This is a time when indigenous people are even more likely to be killed by police than African-Americans. A time when Latinx people have to struggle to be treated as real Americans, regardless of their immigration status, their language, their place of birth. There are so many ways to take action, the action that will be anti-racist, that will end white supremacy. And they don't involve leaving your house because that's an understandable concern. Sometimes I think we lack imagination. We, we can't think of another way. And I'm glad that people who feel they can do it safely are going into the streets. I'm worried about some others, but I want to say there's lots and lots of other things you can do. So don't let not being able to go to a protest be an excuse. Several of these actions are listed on the Solidarity with Black Lives page linked from your order of service. There are lists and lists. Some people find it empowering to look at a list of 75 things white people can do to end racism. Some people find that overwhelming and say, tell me one. Put your shoulder to the wheel wherever it finds you. 
If you're responsible for hiring in your job, learn about implicit bias and how you can counter it in yourself. If your taxes pay for policing, learn about policing and alternative ways to protect people and their rights. So that if you are, heaven forbid, frightened and in trouble for good reason, you'll maybe have a better alternative than calling police who don't value black lives. If you are given extra power by the injustices of your inheritance, wield that power and demand to speak to the manager of systemic racism. Meet with the police chief and the city council and insist they follow the best practices laid out by organizations like Campaign Zero. Join actions such as several district attorneys' proposal here in California that they, the public prosecutors, be banned from accepting money from police unions. Call your DA. Say either thank you or get on board. Say what can I do to help push this along? I'm just listing a few things. But through all of it, above all, I'm speaking here to my kindred white people. Allow yourself to be quiet, to listen to and learn from and be accountable to and be led by the people most affected. The ones of whom Audre Lorde said, we were never meant to survive. Getting back to Lincoln, you know, I think he was right and wrong. He was right that the House can't stand if divided. He was right about a nation and he was right about the soul. He was wrong that it would be resolved soon. It takes a long time to crumble. When I learn the history, and I'm still learning, the history of the foundations of this country, the white supremacist rot at the foundations. I think my beloved land is like a person with a slow terminal disease. It's held on for a long time but it's going to die of this if we don't do something. And you know, every single one of us was born into this long, slow dying that's been going on since before 1776. We came to this country or were born into it when it was already bearing mortal wounds, when it was held together by those inadequate bandages and most of us will die before it is truly healed. But maybe, maybe the very youngest of us need not. Maybe they will have some days in a country that bears its scars proudly because it has truly healed its wounds. But there's only one way that that is going to happen. And it is up to each one of us. Blessings.